0: to another edition of hit the lights podcast i've got a very special guest with me today i've got darren Cranis. how are we doing
1: very well thank you very much Gary. nice to talk to you
0: yeah and you too i appreciate you coming on and and dedicating a bit of your time i know you're a very busy person
1: Uh, aren't we all but it's it's nice to um you know chat to people and give back i think
0: yeah no definitely it's always nice to uh, put a face to a name obviously i see yourself um across linkedin quite a bit and you know your social media posts traveling around the country
1: it's been a it's been a really busy sort of year. Um, I'm sure we'll come on to it sort of later, but it's been a, yeah, an extremely busy year. Very exciting year. Oh, that's um, excellent. Especially with all the changes, you know, to the regulations that, you know, I've been helping to give that message out to uh, to members.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. So if we, we'll start at the beginning then. So what, what was your um, journey
1: into the world of electrics? Well, I was always electrically trained. I had a, an interest. Uh, I guess from from a dad, um, and you know he he was electrical to a certain degree, although he sort of travelled quite a quite a bit around the UK when he was younger. But he he did sort of do some electrical mechanical works, so and that sort of really got me interested. And uh, you know so I the sort of guess a spark for doing that sort of went on from there. But originally I was um, interested in sort of electrical mechanical. Mm. I sort of liked them both and actually these days M and E sort of go well together Um, but I went down you know the the electrical route the electrical journey and then I had the opportunity to um, also go to university to study Uh, and the course I really wanted to do was like um, mechatronics so electrical mechanical but Mm. they stopped doing that the year I went so I, I chose the electrical route just to gain Sort of further knowledge in that.
0: So, so you didn't enter via an apprenticeship route, then you you went through uh, secondary edu- or further education.
1: I I done that after. I was literally trained before.
0: Oh, okay, um, sorry. So you did do a like a, the formal yeah. kind of let's say apprenticeship, time serve sort of thing.
1: And and yeah, and then I had the uh, you know the opportunity to go to university and and study further. Um, I know a lot of people in the industry, obviously. May look at HNCs, HNDs, and go on further. I was given an opportunity at the time um, to go and study further, further education up at university, which I really enjoyed.
0: Yeah, no. So you managed to get the support from your employer at that time, then, or, or did yeah, you self fund? Uh,
1: part, partly both. Oh, okay. Partly both. The um, I worked for um, Motorola. All right. Okay. Uh, back in the day and um, they had had a a funding program so they they part funded part of that as well
0: oh okay well that's it's always good to get employer support when doing further education
1: yeah we're going back to when fees are are nowhere near what they are today there was still the introduction of of fees um but they they were very small comparison to what they are what they eleven and a half thousand pounds a year today something like Um, that yeah it was all sort of means tested and, and accommodation was much cheaper you know 20 odd years ago so um, you know what they contributed basically paid for our halls of residence for for the years I was I was at university so every little helps but it was certainly I think an easier journey mm. to fund back then compared to now.
0: So d- during that period then did you keep on the tools like you're saying you halls of residence so did you kind of stop working during that period of
1: time? Uh, d- during holidays, I went on back on the tools. You know, that was that was part of the agreement as well, which was mm. great because in the holidays, you know, you can just get paid. And you can go to university and effectively, <laughs> you know, still well, you get a contribution to why we were there. So uh, it, it was the best of both worlds, really. I didn't have to worry about finding a job in, in, the, in the holiday times.
0: No, yeah, I, yeah. It's an ideal scenario, isn't it? The, the, um, so when you finished your um, further education, did you continue with Motorola or did you um, seek employment elsewhere?
1: No, I um, I seeked employment elsewhere. The the industry took a bit of a downturn sort of during that time, uh, and they and they weren't taken on you know the sort of graduate engineering roles at the time. Um, it was just on that cusp of sort of two G three G and um, the whole industry was sort of, I guess it's that sort of year 2000 dot com just afterwards, actually several years after that. It just it was in a bit of a lull. Mm. So they were not take on. So I went into sort of the um, the IT and services and design market there.
0: OK, so you um, took up a, a more senior role uh, on the design side of things then from then on.
1: Yeah, I went into that thing, more, more infrastructure design on, on
0: that, you see. All right. OK. Did that present any any challenges for you at the
1: time? No, not really. Um, but I think just after a sort of period of time with that, about 10 years I was, I was doing that for, I just found that I had sort of no love for that anymore. And that's when I came back into the electrical industry. All so right, that okay. would have been um, April sort of 2011 when I decided that I would come back into the sector. So, what
0: uh, was your next step then in terms of um, p- career progression?
1: Well, I've been out obviously for several years, um, so I spoke to some people and uh, I went to work for a company and uh, you know topped up my training because obviously regulations had moved on mm. over the years as uh, as we well know now. But um, so I went in just to join join a crew, um, a local engineering firm. And to, to get that experience back on the calls and tools and also uh, update, update my knowledge for going forward.
0: Mm. So did you um, undertake design roles or anything like that? You know, did you progress with, with future companies in that manner?
1: No, the, the, the firm I worked for gave me the opportunity to work for them while I was then just upskilling again. Um, they specialised a lot in electrical inspections. So it was really just sort of hands-on and doing I was quite lucky at the time inspection work which you know not a lot of people like inspection work I had quite an eye for detail so I I really enjoyed it but with them they um they've done some several large projects um and I've had this sort of discussion before with others that you know a lot of electrical contractors are brilliant at doing electrical contracting um they sort of become accidental business owners Mm and sometimes these large projects if you get too involved yourself soak up all your time resource and development and by that I mean business development and they sort of let the ball rock you know ball drop and after these sort of big projects there was no work
0: right okay yeah
1: quite lengthy projects so we all got laid off and that's when I started my own firm
0: all right okay so that that would have been I assume quite a big jump at that time maybe um how, how did you find setting up your own business at that time because i think what do you what was that around 2012 was it think? Was,
1: yeah 2020 uh 20 april well around at the start of 2011 you see mm. um yeah i mean i i'd never started a business before like that um and i remember talking to my wife about it and we were both sort of uh you know scared of what to do but i had several friends who had started other businesses not necessarily in construction software companies other bits and pieces so I, I took their advice you know starting a company starting a company um and they all pointed to me in sort of similar directions uh advice is best with an accountant for example um using certain software for your accounts and i looked at the systems and processes that they had and took that on board so the first thing i did was was a point an accountant and they took all that hard work off me for starting a firm
0: yeah a good accountant is worth their weight in gold
1: yeah absolutely so they, they gave the right advice there and I'd recommend that to anyone you know back then I went straight as a limited company but many people start as sole traders and, and they might become limited companies and VAT registered after uh it's something I did all in one go it just depends on you know, your personal circumstances and, and your ambition and what you want to do.
0: Yeah, and project, so I suppose projective turnover is quite key, isn't it?
1: Yeah, there's, there's not a one size fits all. OK, some people are very happy, content being a sole trader. Other people may want a limited company and grow their business to several people or mm-hmm. several hundred people. You know, yeah. so there's no one size fits all. And the right accountant for the right person, I think is a, is a good fit. So
0: did you jump straight into employing anyone to work with you?
1: no I've done what everyone probably does and slog your guts out uh, for as long as you can before you realise that you know you can't go on any longer you know it's a hard slog in construction especially the electrical sector Uh, you know when you first start you take on lots of work um, and you end up working lots of hours because you know you ultimately overcommitted, probably underpriced um, you know just to establish yourself but We'd had um, I'd had several letters and CVs and um, sort of forthcoming apprentices contact me. Uh, and I'd always I'd always written back, even if it was just a holding email, holding letter saying not in a position to, to take anyone on at the moment, etc. Cetera, et cetera, But there But one person who, who wrote to to myself and um, we weren't in a position to take anyone on. Uh, but we said, you know, they're interested in electrical contracting gave them some advice to look at some level two, like a level two, one year course, because they couldn't get on the level three. Um, and halfway through that course, we contacted them back and said, you know, would you like to do the level three apprenticeship with us?
0: OK, and, and that was your successful first employment
1: then? That was a, yeah, that was, that was the first for everything. You know, first employee, you go along and, um, you know, you write your first contract of, of employment or you know it's an apprentice agreement it's slightly different but you get advice from from other people you know from external mm-hmm. hr resources so not only if you start a firm but you know 18 months later you know you, you always become your own hr depo- department you've, you've got an employee working for you and, and we just repeated that you know for the next uh, 10 years we just we just repeated that process just engaging with apprentices bringing apprentices on board, training them up and you know, importantly we're quite lucky keeping them once they finish their apprenticeship.
0: Yeah it's always um, a nice milestone to retain staff isn't it as well, natural growth. Yeah. Did you find um, at that time were you kind of looking, I mean we're probably links into other conversations we'll have in a bit, but the ECA did you get any, uh, utilize any sort of memberships at that time um, for maybe you know like writing contracts and other support that they can offer?
1: No, so when I first started, no, and then I started sort of looking around, to see, what, see what other people were doing, because <clears throat> it's never been, uh, apart from obviously um, Part P notificational work, there's never been, you know, a need to join, for example, a certification scheme or mm. a trade body. It, it's it's been choice, unless you're doing, you know. Um, works that require that. So obviously the Part P regulations, the building regulations. If you sort of fall outside that scope, it's just, you know, quite a good idea. Uh, but whilst, whilst I was sort of out about working, especially on some larger jobs, I noticed loads of contractors, they all show up in their vans and they all got the same logo on. It's, it's the same N I C E I C logo. And then I saw one with the ECA logo on. I thought, well, that's a bit different. And I didn't really know any different. And I said, oh, who are they? I had a conversation. He said, well, they help me. They help the contractor. They've helped mm-hmm. me grow. And he talked about how he'd been helped. And I quite like the word help. So I contacted the ECA and they sent a regional manager around to see me. So someone comes out to see you. We've, we, we talked about the ECA and what benefits it would have. And it's not just and I'm, I'm sure we'll go on to this later, but it's not just technical support for contractors there's a whole wealth of support there from contracts to health and safety to legal so we talked about that and we we put my application in and that went through to the eca we we had our technical assessment and it also goes out to the local members they can see if uh, there's an applicant in waiting if and if they've got any comments on that applicant or that company he wishes to join, and lucky I was accepted, and uh, and in I popped, and I still remember going to my first little branch meeting, you know, effectively, you know, Darren Crannis you know, basically one man plus one apprentice, mm. to the to the local Swindon branch, um, you know, talking to firms who've been established you know, some of them 30, 40, 50 plus years who I really looked up to in my time. Mm.
0: Did you find that you you maximise that membership straight away?
1: No, um, I think it's like a gym membership. You sort of grow into it. Mm. Because um, and I'm certainly as a, as a contractor uh, and also as a, a technical manager. Now I can see the whole process. You, you know, you will pull on that membership for different things at different times. So admittedly, first, technical, very good strength for the ECA, um, even though I say so myself, but even before as technical manager, they had a very, very strong technical support team to answer your inquiries. Um, I sort of fell on the other parts of the ECA sort of by mistake, because ultimately every contractor is going to make a mistake. They're going to overcommit. They're not going to read a contract properly. yeah, you know, we've all been there um and then there was those other departments you sort of call on in the 11th hour so that they had a you know a contracts and legal team which could look over contracts and give you advice and then what happens you find is as you sort of progress through your career as your you know company matures you probably won't read contracts and make decisions yourself you'll probably send them to the right people to start with and get their advice first
0: mm-hmm.
1: So rather than sort of get you out of trouble, maybe advise you before you get into trouble. Yeah. So as you go yeah, as you go through different parts of your career and and you know it's lessons learned isn't it really you you might get burnt once and then you'll think actually I've learned a lesson from that it won't happen again. so you'd be a bit more proactive and you know contracts certainly are not a forte of mine, but we always have you know the legal advice and the legal experts. Up at the ECA to look through those for us and and you know they go through a fine-tooth comb and tell us what was what basically what to account for.
0: Yeah no I mean not everyone has a, a quantity yeah. surveyor at hand to you know implement a contract for you so it's, it sounds like a, you know it's a great resource that obviously continues to to today. Um, I think from my own personal experience I don't think I utilized it enough whilst I was uh, working for a company that was an ECA member so Yeah, I think if somebody is a member out there or is thinking of becoming a member, it's certainly a a great benefit to you.
1: Certainly some of the best kept secrets in the world, you see, but especially um, health and safety advice as well was was really, really good. And and the EC at the time still do today have a great um, risk assessment and method statement um, program called ERAMS, and i used that a lot when i was contracting it was really easy to use and it was uh, you know just helped improve our processes you know make us a, a better company so you know there's definitely tools there to be used if anyone's looking into it yeah no, definitely
0: in terms of your business then how, how long did you continue to run your own business for
1: i ran that from april 2011 right up to about I stood down as director um, about this year, about this time last year.
0: Oh, so fairly recently then.
1: It was, yeah, I joined the ECA in February this year, so February 2022. But I stood down as director from my firm uh, back in December and handed that over to my wife, Kerry.
0: Yeah, she features on one of the earlier episodes that we've recorded. So just to just to link the two, Kerry's your wife, isn't she? Um, That's right. Yeah. So uh, um, Kerry
1: was... um, um, one of our employees, she was a, a contract manager for the firm, so she was well versed in, in what we did. She looked after some of our, our major contracts and when the opportunity arose, you know, it was a, a, a tough decision. You know, leave effectively a, a firm that you love um, to go into an industry that you love. Um, but it was a natural thing for me to do
0: yeah I mean it's still obviously very close to you as well It's it it's still part of your I assume your daily life with with Kerry and the the conversations that you may have around the
1: house well yeah sometimes around the dinner table but uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) not too much shop not too much
1: shop not too much shop
0: that's fair enough in terms of um, why you went on to uh, join the ECA then how, how did that come about I
1: as being uh, you know, a member, when I from the, from the day I first walked into the sort of branch meeting, because uh, ECA is made up of branches, regions, um, and and a council, and it's the members that own the ECA. It's a it's a member firm, and that really impressed me. And i I was chairman of a branch. I was on the regional committees. Um, I was asked to join the technical committee. So that's a committee of members. Uh, and we look after sort of technical policy for the ECA, um, also looking at uh, British standards. And obviously, one of those British standards is the Brig Brown book that many of us read today. But there are other British standards as well and, and generally other policy what's going on in the industry. So it's the, the members that, that govern and set policy for the ECA and then the staff of the ECA follow that and they deliver to the membership and to the wider industry. Effectively, what the members want. So I was uh, chairman of branch, I was on on the council, uh, and I was chairman of the technical committee um, f- for several years. And I was working uh, with the ECA because they they do like to engage with their members. And I was sitting on the JPAL committees for them anyway because of my specialist works in electrical inspections. And, and one day, you know, a job advert pops up for a technical manager. And I just thought, you yeah, know, that was my time to, to leave the firm I was in and and apply for, well, I, I guess you could say my dream job.
0: I mean, that that's certainly the, the key point there, isn't it? Because it, it is some people might struggle to let go of a business that they've, um, you know, spent a lot of time building and, and like you say, cared for um, it it must have taken a lot of uh, gumption to actually make that decision or was that quite a quick and an easy one for you?
1: No I, I'd say it's the hardest decision in my life you know like I said to, to leave a firm that you know you've, you've gone through the pain of growing you know it is your little baby and you, you've grew that um, but equally there was a huge passion of mine in, in standards and I was very fortunate to be given a rare opportunity to help the ECA in working on some of those standards and represented on on j It's a it's a unique opportunity. It's mm-hmm. not something that that everyone has a has a privilege to. Uh, so I was very blessed and fortunate when I was asked to sort of take on some of those additional roles. Um, and I enjoyed it. And I just got to that point where actually um, I felt I needed a, a sort of fresh technical challenge, I'm, I enjoy standards, I enjoy helping others, and it, it was just the right decision for me then, you know, to to move away. But I knew it would be in the safe hands of Kerry. No, yeah, definitely. So
0: in terms of your role then, you stepped into the technical manager role? That's right, yes. So what what's, uh, what does that encompass um, within, I suppose, the hierarchy of, of ECA, and, and what do you deliver for, for members?
1: so there, there are several different departments um in the eca you know i think i've mentioned some of them but we we have technical we have contracts legal membership health and safety um and so what the technical team delivers is is predominantly um support for members so our key focus is helping you know our members. We've got sort of like th- just under 3,000 member companies, and that's about 27,000 operatives across the UK. Mm. So anyone of those operatives can, can give us a call or email for advice. So engaging with our members on a technical level is is off. You know is at the front of what we do as a technical team. Um, We help in other ways as well, because we're there supporting members by being on a lot of the technical committees, j other committees as well. So we're there engaging with them, but for our members. Right. Yeah. So improving standards uh, for our members and we engage with our members often to see what they want and how we can help influence that in industry. With that, we're helping to help influence other industry stakeholders. So we're talking to other trade bodies, other trade associations, other certification bodies, governments, um, mm. etc. And that's how we help, you know, influence the industry as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's quite interesting. You say that obviously, you, like there's an opportunity to represent members um, at the the various committees and, and, and things like that that set the standards. How how would it function in terms of let's say uh, the members? on on whole are I don't know I'm going to come up with an example but it's not necessarily a good one let's say against the use of AFDDs for example and they really don't want the implementation to be a, a mandatory one within the regs is is it your maybe if it's not your personal belief Let's say that you think AFDDs are a good thing, or, or I'm, I'm probably putting words in your mouth. No, no. So, statements, but it's,
1: it's so just we, kind we of that are, nuance. It's important to know that ESA is a membership organisation. Mm. And if our members believe that, just say for example, they believe AFDDs are not a good device, then on behalf of our members, we will make that heard. Mm. So we have a technical committee. So we can listen to that from our members. We can air that in our technical committee, and if our technical committee agree, and that's members, it's it's a committee which is chaired by a member and it's led by our members. If they wish for the ECA to put a paper in to jpal to say they do not support certain motion on AFDDs, then we will put that paper in from our technical committee. It's their voice to be heard.
0: No, no, I mean that sounds. Sounds really good, you know, to have a, a voice in the industry. It's a method of communication to.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're only one voice and what we can do, we can pull that from our sort of 3000 member companies. But it's important that uh, many people should know that anyone can make a comment, a suggestion um, and put that into Jpal It goes via the BSI online portal. So there's always a mechanism for electrical contractors to have a say, as it was, on current regulations, how they are today, or amendments. So I know a lot of us go, I've heard about the, the DPC, the draft for public comment process. And again, that's a very open invitation where you're invited to go online, you can mm-hmm. put your details in, you can say why you don't like something or what you'd like it changed to. The more information that you put in, the better it is. and all those comments are aired at jpal every mm-hmm. single one providing you don't put any anything naughty in there so <laughs> just you know, using choice words will be filtered out um but if you're sensible and you say i've got concerns about this regulation uh, we could say uh, afdd's um i don't think they work on x y and z circuits because of a b and c and he writing in there my suggestion would be to change the regulation to this that's a really good proposal and that can be discussed at the j committees and a decision can be made but i can assure you from personal involvement that every single comment the public make is looked at
0: no, that's definitely good to know. Um, I think the, the only probably issue I've had in the past is the, is the use of the website. Maybe too many people are on it and it, it just crashes. But it's definitely So there. a
1: lot of awareness was there for Amendment 2, much more than ever before. So when the Amendment 2 DPC came out, there were about two and a half thousand comments. Mm-hmm. I think it might have even been double than any of that before so i I think they had to sort of bulk up their website to to take those comments but there were yeah quite a few thousand comments And, and like i said each and every one of them they're verified by bsi by the british standards they're categorized into which committee's doing the work and then they're sent to the committee and it's up to the committee to review those in a timely manner and when i say review them all of them every comment is reviewed
0: yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm sure um, lots of people listening hopefully will be pleased to hear that and by the time we have the next amendment coming round and the next draft of public comment, that um, who knows, we'll maybe see that, that engagement number double again.
1: I will, I hope so.
0: Yeah, definitely. So obviously you mentioned um, as part of your role, I think we kind of touched on it earlier, but travelling around the country and the ECA Roadshow. Can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing there?
1: Yeah, that's a a really exciting time because obviously I I joined the ECA as they were launching their amendment to roadshows. So what a fantastic... And also, we're just coming out of lockdown. okay. Mm. so we'd all been, you know, in our own homes or, you know, working to strict rules and construction sites. We we hadn't been going anywhere. We hadn't been travelling to trade shows. We hadn't been seeing others. Um, So it was really weird to start with because suddenly... You're in a room with hundreds of people, and there's uh, there's no legal you know compliance of not because before yeah. you're used to,
0: you know, <laughs> shake hands again,
1: <laughs> there was six people or twelve people or, or picking how many friends or family you got on one hand and invite them over for a Christmas meal <laughs> yeah. type of thing. Um, yeah, you got to march, and there was literally no restrictions, but it was great to see you know, we 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 hundreds hundreds at each event we had, and it was delivering. The amendment to you know update to our members and it was a perfect opportunity to invite them to several venues around the uk have some trade shows and trade stands there members hadn't seen other members you know for a long time a good couple of years they hadn't engaged with eca staff who they'd probably been working with remotely for a couple of years so i think it really did have a great impact on our members um, and it's really nice to see everyone, you know, for the south to to see members all over the country as well. Mm. What, what what have you learned
0: about the industry whilst doing the the roadshow? I was
1: I was I was you know pretty in tune with the industry um, before, but definitely different areas of the UK have different struggles. Okay, be it whether it's technical, be it whether it's labour, for example, um, you know. In the, in the north of England they have different sort of struggles to what we might have in the south of England mm. so it's nice to learn on reflection that you know where I'm predominantly from the south on the M4 corridor it's a bit different when you go up to sort of uh, sort of Leeds way for example and different when you go across to Wales everyone has sort of different regional variations as it was
0: mm. yeah I think we probably forget the impact that being um, close or commutable to London has on has on businesses doesn't it and obviously there are major cities but London obviously probably is an exception
1: yeah well, one thing you know I spent a lot of time uh, I'll say up north anything above the M4 is north for me but uh, there's a lot of uh, large electrical contractors M&E contractors you know all along the M62 Manchester all the way up north you see not so many larger ones sort of down south so And it's good to go and meet them and and see their concerns. Uh, Equally, go across South Wales. We learnt their power to have lots of problems with their DNOs. Huge broken neutral problems in South Wales. Who'd have thought it? Mm -hmm. So it it was great to sort of see those um, sort of local problems there. Is there... um... Anything that out uh, of
0: doing the technical side, you think is there one particular key item that everybody is focused on as part of the update?
1: No, uh, technical is very is very varied. So in terms of um, support desk, and we, we man that ourselves as technical department. So you come through to to, one, to to one of us. The key things at the moment, I think, are SPDs, uh, AFDDs protected escape routes and EICRs mm-hmm. they they're the key areas we talk about. we, we always talk about EICRs and EICR coding um, but you know the areas we're talking about at the moment there's been some changes obviously with SPDs and AFDDs so it's just contractors getting clarification on those
0: yeah I mean, yeah obviously where, where I suppose the changes occur is where the most likely confusion will potentially be or clarification required will be yeah yeah so what do you think the the next steps for uh, the british standard i'll say 7671 um is going to be
1: yeah that's a good question uh i think where it will be will be in a prosumer area so we've sown the seed haven't we with new you know part eight chapter 82 um that's been another big Um, we've been delivering net zero carbon messages to all our members, so we've been delivering sort of smaller little roadshows, little events, talk about opportunities for the electrical contractor, uh, and also, you know, we've got some campaigns at ECA at the moment about going around sort of net zero carbon. That's an exciting time for electrical contractors you know no more is it just sort of you know 1882 we changed gas street lighting to electric street lighting we brought out the first four page regulation book you know first edition 1882 the first edition came out and it basically said you know when you're putting up lighting don't kill each other yes we're up to 600 odd pages now but now we've got the prosumer section so we're, we're moving now to decentralize our energy. It's now looking at an individual level, solar, battery storage, electrification of heat, electric vehicles, all those tied in together. Um, so where the regulations need to go is, is innovation. So they need to embrace this new technology. Uh, what was really good, obviously, was internationally, and that's where our regulations come from, from the 60364 series, they recognise that prosumer installations were coming in. And bear in mind regulations change probably what, every four to five years. Mm. So it's ideal that, you know, part eight came in and chapter 82 came in to give you, you know, to sow that seed, to give you sort of the basic information going forward. I can only see that getting bigger. And I, and I think the regulations will possibly change to, to reflect new technologies.
0: Yeah, definitely. yeah. The technology is just moving so quickly at the moment, isn't it? Do you, do you think one of the kind of things when I was looking at the, the solar and battery elements, do you think we're going to end up moving back towards DC installations within homes?
1: Do you know we may well do? A colleague of me at mine has been to a recent office where the entire floor was USB-C. Mm. So the only outlets on desks was USB-C. Kind of makes know, sense when you think about it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. And I know I come from, I also come from a data centre experience. There's a lot of DC in the telecommunications market, you see. But yeah, I think there's going to be probably, you know, low extra low voltage lighting. I think we're going to see a big change in the next five to 10 to 20 years on, you know, what we use in our homes. And because of that as well, I think you've noticed, you know, apprenticeships and training is, is changing and it's changing you know there's a a domestic electrical apprenticeship now and that's focusing around really all this this prosumer opportunities this integration technology you know it's all got to be done right homes are going to be very different built now for the next 20 years
0: i suppose this i'll offer the question in in both directions but what do you like or dislike about the electrical industry
1: what i dislike race to the bottom yeah yeah i always answer so, yeah, a keen eye for safety if it's worth doing it's worth doing well and i understand there are contractual constraints but the race to the bottom is a very bad thing i, I don't know why as an industry we do it i don't know why as a construction sector we brought in value engineering i think it's the worst thing ever um you know as engineers in the uk we make some of the best products we put some of the best systems in why would we suddenly step back and put something not as good? Um, it goes against all logic for me. But yeah, certainly the race to the bottom is uh, is a concern.
0: Yeah, I think you're right there. In terms of people, don't tend to look at whole life cost, do they? They kind of think of the immediate cost that is going to actually be for them. That you know, like the, the the capex or whatever you want to call it, um, in terms of immediate price. But, yeah, there is definitely value to having something that will last you 60 years rather than 20 and and not require replacement. How how are the ECA kind of uh, integrating or or assisting with dealing with the issue of race to the bottom, I suppose, with its members primarily?
1: Uh, ECA always leads on safety. So we've got a lead in charge campaign at the moment, particularly for net zero carbon. And the first words that come to our mind are safety. You know, safety. So that's ensuring that the industry uh, has, you know, the right tools, the right knowledge and the right training, you know, to, to put this in. And that's what we deliver to our members as well. We deliver guidance. So we've got a whole wealth of, of written guidance there, not only technical, um, but also you know, legislation, health and safety. And, you know, we help guide training in the industry as well. And it's really important, especially, with these new technologies, that we get good level three training, uh, and that has started in the industry now.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that. Let's go for something positive. What, what's your, the thing you enjoy the most about the industry?
1: Uh, making a difference. Whether you're a contractor turning over a hundred thousand or a hundred million, you know, I, I take support calls all the time, support emails, uh, meeting members. But if I can help someone like they helped me like you say helped me all those years ago that's a really big joy in the industry
0: no that's a that's a really uh nice message i i always my, my personal one was it's, I, I always remember you know go, you go past properties or buildings things you've worked on done and you just constantly point them out, and it's like I've built that, I helped that, you know. I mean, it's it's those. I've I enjoy those moments just because it's, it's kind of like you're you're contributing to society in a larger way than just being an electrician. But
1: yeah, there are several hundred buildings I've worked in. Yeah. Every time I drive past them, you know, you say to the kids or your wife in the back of the car, uh, I think it's just a a build and go contractor mentality. Yeah. I worked in that building, or oh, I implemented that.
0: Yeah, exactly yeah no that's brilliant it's been um fantastic chatting with you i do have uh, one last question though and that's what's your favorite movie
1: uh it's got to be shawshank redemption
0: oh i think you're about uh, i'm gonna just i think i might stop asking the question because <laughs> uh, uh. every electrician loves that movie so you know
1: and i think that's a good thing you know because i think it emphasizes you know time thinking yeah, know. about thinking about you know the end goal thinking about the problem coming up with a solution it's not not it's not necessarily quick yeah.
0: <laughs> carving your way out of a wall yeah no yeah. It, <laughs> it definitely isn't quick well like i said it's been uh fantastic chatting with you and you know the insights into the aca and your journey so uh, thank you very much brilliant thanks very much thank you gary and uh, thank you everyone for listening